The Energy Pipeline is your lifeline to all things oil and gas to drill down deep into the issues impacting our industry. From the frac site to the future of sustainability, hear more about industry issues, tools, and resources to streamline and modernize the future of oil and gas. Welcome to the Energy Pipeline. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Energy Pipeline. I'm your host, Jordan Yates. And today I am joined by one of my co-hosts, Bill Jensen, and a very special guest that I've just been so excited for, Justine Smith. Um, Justine, say hello. Hi, good morning, everyone. And uh, thanks so much for having me on the podcast this morning. I'm really excited to join today. Of course. Bill, how excited are you to have Justine on? We're really good, looking forward to visiting with Justine today to get some insights on petrochemicals. And glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> um, okay, guys, I just want to go ahead and just kick it off. Justine is the VP of Chevron Chemical Company, and she has a really impressive background, everything from being a chemical engineer by trade up through her years of experience in the industry. But as much as it is fun to listen to me say it, Justine, can you give us a little insight on your current role and your background in this industry? Absolutely, Jordan. So, um, so I'm currently, as you mentioned, Senior Vice President for Petrochemicals here at Chevron Phillips Chemical. Uh, Chevron Phillips Chemical is a joint venture between Phillips 66 and Chevron. And I also have responsibility for uh, sustainability for Chevron Phillips Chemical as well. So I've been in the petrochemicals role for around two and a half years, going on three years. And I have over 30 years of experience in different chemical value chains um, that I've been either in the operations or in business management roles or commercial roles for those businesses. Um, I've spent six years in uh, Asia Pacific running businesses and I currently reside here in Houston. So happy to be here. <laughs> I, I just can't believe we got you on. Like, this is so exciting. Um, okay, well, that is that is so cool. I want to start off by asking you a question because guys, this is anticipated to be very educational and lay the groundwork for just kind of the discussion we're getting into. Um, one second, I hear myself echoing. Let me sit back a little. Okay, Justine, can you explain the difference between oil and gas? Everyone kind of pairs them together and say oil and gas, like it's one thing and it's only one thing. What is the difference other than, you know, viscosity, but like where, what is the difference between the two? Sure. So uh, I'll try to describe this in, in a short version. So when you um, have oil well production, you're basically bringing a mixture of oil and gas um, out of the ground. And the mixture is typically routed directly to either a further processing uh, equipment that will separate it or uh, to an export facility. The liquids um, are the crude oil. 
Mm-hmm. And that's typically collected in tanks and will go into fuels. Uh, so um, things like gasoline, jet fuel, um, other types of applications like that, but mainly fuel applications. Um, it's also sometimes used as feedstock into to further chemicals production. The gases um, are further processed. They go to what's called a gas processing plant, mm-hmm. and they're in, they're separated into what's called wet gas um, or dry gas. And um, the the dry natural gas is what we use also as fuels. So um, it's important to, to kind of separate that. The other still wet gas we call raw natural gas liquids or NGLs. Mm-hmm. And NGLs um, are, I like to describe it a little bit like a bag of M&Ms. So you have all different colors <laughs> um, and those colors make up the different components of raw NGLs. So you have ethane, you have propane, butane, and some pentanes in there. Mm -hmm. And so the next process would be to separate those, which is really important to CPCAM because ethane is one of our major feedstocks uh, for petrochemicals. Um, But so are butanes and pentanes, et cetera. But but generally ethane is is one of the the important ones for, for, let's say, modern um, petrochemical crackers. Um, I'll also say that um, the the other products that can come from crude oil, so going back to crude, there are some specialty products too besides fuels like asphalt um, and as I mentioned, sometimes used as petrochemicals feedstocks as well. That's really interesting. Um, just for the listeners who may not understand, what do you mean by feedstock? What is What is that? Yeah, so feedstock is basically the raw material that you're feeding in um, to a reactor or to a piece of equipment, a processing piece of equipment. So mm-hmm. we call them feedstocks. So it's really just what's coming in as the, the feed or the, the raw material um, coming in that you're going to process and then move through, through your reactor or through your, your further processing. Okay, awesome. Um, so... There, like you said, is a wide range of applications for petrochemicals, whether it's the ones coming from the the gas side, the oil side. But can you highlight a few in each that are like very large applications like plastics possibly and kind of like the breakdown from pulling it out of the ground to how it becomes like a piece of rubber or plastic or something like that? <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of different um, parts of that that process. So we talked about the raw NGLs. Mm-hmm. So I'll start there because they'll get further. So those M&Ms will get separated through what's called fracturing. Um, and so they'll separate those through distillation into different um, uh components, so you might have ethane, propane, Um, those will then be fed into a petrochemical plant. And within the petrochemical boundaries, I would say you have, you know, a cracker, we often call the cracker, which um, you're basically heating up um, to high temperatures in order to separate and and react. Um, And then you're going to cool it down and then break apart all the components in the back end. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're basically making what we call olefins, so anethylene or propylene or the two largest olefins that are produced. Um, Those will then go into the next step, which would be 
uh, more of a catalytic reaction. So a reactor that's going to make, let's say, polyethylene or polypropylene. Um, and those products will then go... Um, to a converter, which mm -hmm. will take those and add other additives into it in order to make a film or to make uh, a component of a car. Um, and those applications generally, if, if I had to break them into to large application <laughs> baskets, I would say certainly packaging, as you mentioned, is one of the largest ones. Mm -hmm. um, healthcare products, a lot of medical devices um, are produced from polyethylene, polypropylene, um, or petrochemicals. Um, also, a lot of uh, hygiene, so our healthcare products. So further down the chain, you'll make detergents, you'll make um, uh, medical uh, equipment, um, everything down to toothpaste um, mm -hmm. is coming from petrochemicals. Um, and then other industries would be like paints and adhesives, mm -hmm. um, synthetic rubbers like your tires, and certainly automotive parts um, are, are also, and lubricants that are used in cars uh, are coming from petrochemicals. So a lot of broad applications um, and a wide range of products that we interact with every day. Is there another way to make rubber in a cost-effective manner or even in a chemical manner without using petrochemicals? Um, I would say that today petrochemicals provide a, a low cost, um, but also a lightweight of rubbers and plastics. Mm -hmm. um, so if you compare it to other uh, competitive alternatives, they're typically heavier. Uh, they don't have the same footprint um, in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So many of them have higher emissions. Mm -hmm. um, and quite frankly, the performance of of petrochemicals, particularly in packaging, um, is you know significantly better than other packaging in terms of maintaining freshness, keeping moisture out, preventing mold, and um, ensuring that that food products can be preserved over periods of time in order to get it to to people that need it um, in order to to eat. So certainly um, there are not um, many options today that are let's say better. Um, in, in those aspects to plastics and to petrochemicals. Bill, how do you feel about all of that? <laughs> I'd like to ask a question about that. You talk about methodology of, of making things better to reduce spoilage of food. How about the sustainability moving forward with more in different packaging and in turn the footprint that the petrochemical products make on our environment? Can you talk about that a little bit, Justine? Yeah, so I would say um, there's a lot of work that's been done and is being done in terms of the footprint, um, looking at life cycle analysis as one aspect. So that's looking at from from we, what we call kind of cradle to grave um, of what is the footprint of a product. And there's also a lot of work do, being done currently on, you know, product by product, um, what are the better products um, in terms of, again, um, you know, what footprint do you have um, for this product and, and what kind of emissions, greenhouse gas emissions are related to it, as well as what are the benefits so, and what are the alternatives. And I would say that today, if you look at um, 
many, it depends on what products you're talking about, but if you, let's focus on packaging because that's probably one of the bigger um, uh, applications of our products. Um, today, you know, when you start comparing to paper or comparing to glass or aluminum, um, we are not seeing, you know, a, a benefit of using those alternative products. Um, we are certainly continuing to look at other aspects of, of, let's say, plastics uh, in terms of recyclability. And I think the recyclability piece is a topic that does need to be addressed. As today, um, you can read in a lot of different references that only, um, or let's say, less than 10% um, is where they're calculating the recyclability of plastics today. And this is an area where companies like CPCAM are focused heavily on ensuring that we can increase the, the recyclability through the value chain um, for plastics. Um, and also, um, you know, tied to our sustainability goals of um, ensuring um, uh, and protecting our planet, uh, and and also and also just increasing, um, you know, the the benefits of of our products and making sure we have a sustainable footprint. Uh, I think that piece is is extremely important to us in terms of some of the things that we're doing as CP Chem and also as an industry uh, for these products. Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. And as you look forward. Do we have new technologies coming, anything emerging that will benefit and help us that you can talk about to improve? Sure. So, so let, me, let me talk a little bit about, um, you know, our efforts uh, really to focus on life-enriching life products um, and, and also on addressing climate change as well. I think those two go to, together because if you look at our sustainability let's say pillars at CPCAM, we have addressing climate change and then we have circular um, polymers or creating more uh, sustainable and circular products. And so if you, if you take a step back and look at what technologies are evolving there. So I'll start with the circularity piece. Certainly mechanical recycling is an area for plastics in general that has been evolving and improving over time. But there's also something called advanced recycling, which is emerging. I would say it's in more early phases um, due to the ability to collect uh, plastic waste, um, make it into something that's called pyrolysis oil. And then kind of going back to, to Jordan, your question on feedstocks, it becomes a feedstock into um, to the processing units that we can then produce uh, plastics that have the same type of performance um, that we had from the original product. And so that's very important because sometimes when you're mechanically recycling, you, you can have a degra degradation of, of some of your, um, your performance properties. So looking at harder to recycle plastics is an area that CPCHEM has been very focused on. And advanced recycling is a technology which is developed Developing and that we're actually investing in. Uh, we've made investments in two um, pyrolysis oil companies, um, very public with Nexus and Mira, and we're helping support them to, in order to produce more uh, pyrolysis oil feedstock. Um, so that's evolving. I think one of the challenges we have in that space, though, it currently is policy. 
Um, so we're, we're very engaged in ensuring that advanced recycling is approved as a recycling uh, process um, so that we can increase those rates to much higher than, let's say, around 10% for, for recycled plastics. So that technology is evolving. There's a lot of um, focus on that and also what will be further um, recycling technologies of the future uh, so that we can continue to, to keep the the circular world alive um, and very engaged in driving that to, to higher levels of, of recycle. Um, if you go to re back to kind of reducing our footprint and on addressing climate change, I think this is also one of our, our focus areas as Chevron Phillips uh, Chemical and also for our industry. And for, for Chevron Phillips, we are doing a lot of work in terms of reducing um, our greenhouse gas emissions. And that's an area where we're looking across our existing plants. Um, but when you start talking about new technologies, uh, we are heavily engaged in looking at what will be the future look at uh, crackers, as I mentioned earlier, um, which is the petrochemicals process, um, um, and, and also our polyethylene plants. You know, what will be the technology of the future there um, that reduces those emissions? And so CP Chem, we have a target of reducing 15% uh, intensity uh, of our uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 2030. And that's starting with a 2020 baseline, so over 10 years. And a big effort for that um, work is to assess what can we do in our existing plants um, and where can we find opportunities to electrify. Um, we're looking at um, um, hydrogen as a fuel in some cases. We have two projects ongoing currently in that space um, that will reduce our intensity, but also our new investments. We have a large investment that um, will come online in 2026 in Orange, Texas, and we're very focused on ensuring that the intensity of, of that production will be will help us with our target of, of the 15% reduction. Um, and then I'll add one more item. We just um, collaborated with uh, one of uh, one uh, one of our co-producers, I would call it, or one of our competitors, if you want to say, Lyondell Bissell Industries. So um, we're working with them and with Technip Energies, um, which is a technology uh, company that has worked on uh, an electric furnace. So can you completely electrify the furnaces? Um, in a cracker, again, we, we go to very high temperatures uh, in a cracker. And so can we electrify a furnace and understand what the operations would look like and uh, the performance of that and the safety and reliability around that? So uh, we've entered into a, a memorandum of understanding, an MOU with them um, to work on a potential uh, retrofit of one of Lyondell's furnaces in Channel View uh, to see if that's a future technology uh, for us and for the industry. That just sounds so cool. You guys are doing just above and beyond in, in terms of not even just sustainability, but adapting to, like you said, the new technologies and just constantly trying to better your processes. And I like how you were saying like the circular products of recycling and trying to reuse those in a more sustainable way. Um, I also like that you mentioned policy because I had a friend ask me the other day and she said, 
do oil and gas companies just like constantly fight the more liberal people like in politics because they don't want to do better, but they're forced to do better. And is the sustainability all an act? Like who is it just because they're being made to do it? And my response was, you know, obviously I, I don't truly know what's going on, but I think that there is very large teams of R&D and there is so much time and money spent into making their products more sustainable and better. And I think you did a good job without me even asking, kind of explaining all the different ways you guys are doing that. But I guess my question would be, where does that need come from? Where does the pressure come from? Is it internal? Is it external? Is it a a bit of both? Or is that just kind of the natural way that a company evolves? So, so I mean, I will, I will very much uh, say, I, I very much feel that uh, you know Chevron Phillips uh, Chemical, so CP, I call it CP Chem here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we set off on I would say a journey um, based off of our principles of sustainability, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to to really accelerate into the space and look at what can we do and where are the opportunities. Uh, for us to to develop in the space, but also profitably grow uh, mm-hmm. and and continue to to look at opportunities where we can either differentiate or work as an industry. I think we recognize uh, the recycle topic. You know, recycle, reuse. Um, you know that 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 is an effort that we as an industry feel very strongly about and mm-hmm. are working across associations um, like the American Chemistry Council, um, AFPM is another um, industry group, and we're working collectively to find solutions uh, for the industry. And I think that's really important. It, it reminds me very much, um, having been in this industry for 30 years, of what safety was. You know, it, it's, a, it's a requirement and um, important uh, to the industry and to all of us uh, to be successful in this space. So, so I, I think that's that's one topic. I think another is on the policy piece. Um, I feel that there's a lot of education that's required. People don't understand where petrochemicals are used. They think it's, you know, they see the, the the bottle and the water or whatever, and they're like, oh, petrochemicals. Petrochemicals is so much bigger than that and so much a part of our modern lives, you know, from insulation in our homes to, you know, waking up, you turn off you know, your alarm on your phone, the components of your phone, the adhesives, uh, electrical components um, in your phone are all tied to petrochemicals. Your toothpaste has petrochemicals as a basis for some of the ingredients. Um, you know, you, you have breakfast and you have your cereal and your milk. They're preserved by packaging that's created from petrochemicals. You get in your car, the re- you know, whether it's a hybrid car, uh, 100% electric, uh, or gasoline car, many of the components, um, your bumpers, your seatbelt, um, you know, I could go on and on. And, and my point is that this is all based off of petrochemicals and the value that they bring to modern life today from, you know, hygiene to safety um, to, to um, feeding the world. And I've 
I believe that we're going to continue to to grow as as countries continue, the middle class grows, and they develop and um, require products and food, etc. Uh, that petrochemicals are a necessary and very important part uh, of that growth. So where policy. I think doesn't support our ability to continue on a sustainable path and encourage us to innovate and continue to develop uh, pathways to more sustainable um, means of recycling um, and managing waste, et cetera. I, I think that that hurts us. And that's where as an industry, we, we are working very hard to ensure that we're educating on the value of the products as well as committing to, um, you know, further uh, developing sustainable pathways for our products, um, which a lot, as I mentioned, is on the recycling side. Yeah, I I like how you mentioned the education piece because that's a big reason I am very passionate about this podcast is because ideally somebody who is on the, the opposing side of just, you know, oil and gas bad, electric good is like, oh, like they're actually a bit more integrated into our society than we thought. Like, yes, there's always going to be a need to push for more sustainability, more growth and all of that. But it's just really nice that we're actually stepping out and saying, hey, here's where we are. Here's how we're contributing to society. Because how would you expect a regular person to know? Like, how would you expect your parents to know? How would you expect like, you know, kids growing up to know when the narrative in a lot of media is just oil and gas bad? Like they don't say, where all it's used. And the other day someone asked me, (laughs) sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Uh, This is a real question. was like, I heard that, you know, by 2030 or 2035, that all of cars are going to be electric. And that means we don't need oil and gas anymore. Right. And I was like, oh boy, oh boy, we're going to need to sit down for a minute. Um, But I think it's just questions like that, where they genuinely think that that is True, like the fact that people not knowing where oil and gas chemicals go and where petrochemicals are used for isn't necessarily their fault. It is a responsibility of, honestly, the oil and gas industry to educate. And I think that's why education is so important. And I'm curious, what is um, what is your company doing to educate you know, everybody else who isn't in this world or in our, you know, industry on what you guys are using your products for and like how it's actually broken down? Sure. So uh, that's a great question. I I would say that two areas that we are very focused on in terms of education are back through the industry. So we're, we, we look at external and also um, our employee education. So I think mm-hmm. there's it's twofold. Um, I'll start with external. We work very, very closely with um, industry groups. Again, going back to ACC and AFPM, those are our two uh, key industry groups for us. Um, uh, and also there's the, the Texas um, Chemistry Council, so TCC. But uh, I would say that but all of all of those groups um, are are working on more education um, into um, all different uh, respective, let's say, stakeholder groups and mm-hmm. general population. So if you go onto their webpage, they have educational links. They have. Um, 
uh, active engagement with um, schools, with um, because I think it starts at a younger age. I think it's the general population, but. I think educating in the school system is really important as well. Um, I actually went to high schools and and taught uh, about petrochemicals um, in some environmental classes really focused on the recycling and sustainability aspects as part of my role. And I think we all have kind of a responsibility uh, working in the oil and gas industry to ensure that we're participating in that education. The other thing that we're doing, um, which is a little bit new that I'll share within uh, CPCAM is we have a sustainability in me series, uh, which is running currently and we are addressing um, the three pillars, again, going back to circularity and sustainability. Um, so products um, and then uh, addressing climate change. And then the third one is um, on social responsibility, which is our third pillar for sustainability. And we have a series of 15-minute videos uh, that discuss um, the attributes of our products, the importance of petrochemicals, but then what are we doing in these sustainability areas um, so that all the way from you know our headquarters through uh, our operating sites and, and an operator sitting at one of our plants really understands um, the value of the products that they're producing, but also um, how we're continuing to address some of these topics and how they can play a part in it. So there's then a discussion session between managers and their teams that is asked uh, to to really talk about it and and to think of and brainstorm ideas where they can they can be engaged in it. So uh, we've rolled that out this year. Um, we'll be finished by the end of the year. And I, I think it's been going over very, very well so far. But these are, we, we have to constantly be doing it to your point mm-hmm. um, because the energy transition as, as you <laughs> as you described, I think there's a misconception sometimes that for example, oil is going to, is going to hit a peak at some point and then fall off the cliff. Um, but a transition is a transition where you're going to see more renewables, you're going to see um, transition to lower carbon solutions for some of um, fossil fuels today, but we are still going to need those products for a very long time. And um, I I think that somehow um, in in a lot of people's minds, um, they think it's like a cliff and then it's over. (laughs) And and that's not how it's going to, I don't think that's how it's going to play out. Um, And we need to continue to reinforce that um, and ensure that that as a, as an industry, we're doing the right things to to continue the momentum, but then continue to educate as as you described. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's, it's so hard for me because I'm so passionate about this topic and I'm just like, everybody needs to know how great they are, but this is an educational podcast and I do have to ask the this questions from the other side as well and, and grill you just a little bit because or else people are going to say I'm being unfair and that I'm just too pro-petrochemical. Um, so if you were to like look at the different things that you guys make and break down and there's like an end product, maybe not from CP chem, but just like in the world that exists from petrochemicals that is probably like the hardest to break down and needs the most attention in terms of like recycling and putting it back into the circular type of um, process. What would you say would really need to be focused on? Because if it's not, then it just like does not do well in the environment. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, sure. I, so I would say um, the best answer I could give to that is if you look at, I'll, I'll just say plastics, mm-hmm. um, because that's probably the biggest topic today in terms of recyclability and, and our ability to do that. Um, I would say that you have durables and you have non-durables and durable products, you know, like a canoe um, or let's say a swing set that's made out of plastic, you know, those products um, are made to last and be used over and over and over and over again. Um, so I think on the durable side, um, you know, they have longevity. I mean, some, some products are built um, like polyethylene piping is a great example. So high density polyethylene piping is made um, to, to last, you know, in some cases up to a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want them to last that long because they're going to be used for that long. Um, so I would, I would put that in one basket of, um, not as, you know, not concerned on recyclability of those because that's the, the, the life of the product. Where you run into some challenges and, and here's where I think technology and innovation can help us. There are a lot of uh, uh, food packaging that are many layers of different um, types of, whether it be paper and then plastic and, um, and you have multi-layers um, which are more difficult than to recycle because you, you're, you're layering different technologies. And there's reasons why they were created that way um, in order to maintain freshness for for, um, foods that probably would mold quicker. And that's an opportunity certainly because they're more difficult to recycle. Um, So I think, you know, where a lot of focus has been for innovation and where we can improve is really looking at can you convert to um, a single type uh, of plastic that will make it easier to recycle. And then also working with um, recycling facilities. Um, that, that's a huge opportunity in terms of collection and then separation. So there's some new sorting and separation technologies that um, are, are starting up uh, and that will enable, let's say, ease of, ease of recycling. And uh, CPCAM and, and other uh, companies in the industry are, are looking at how can we participate in that? How can we help? And then how can we innovate better uh, to, to accelerate the, our ability to recycle? So a lot of really good stuff happening there, but that's probably the types of products that are the biggest challenge right now in terms of, of making them circular. Yeah, I think if they made it easy to do, more people would do it for sure. Just like magically sort our trash for us and we don't recycle. <laughs> so so I will share, there is, there is some technology today that's already in use um, in California that does a very, basically you throw all your trash in, you don't, you don't separate anything and it's able to separate the organics from the non-organics and then has sensors to separate all of the different streams. So the technology is there. Uh, the issue is uh, municipalities investing in it uh, so that we can get the separation and then the recycle streams. Well, the question there is, is how do we drive the public to learn, to follow, to apply, putting those technologies to, to work, to help with recycling? Because basically the population is just a use it, toss it, and get a new one. So how, how can we work to make that a better, a better system, driving it economic, 
whether it's economics that do it or, I hate to say, governance to force it, but in turn there might be things there to allow for an economic improvement of the system to make it better. And are there technologies out there? You speak of this process in California. Are there other things out there that are breakthroughs or advancements that are helping in that? Right. So, yeah, I, I would I would add to your question and, and to your comment that first there's um, an organization that we're, a CPCHEM, we're founders, one of the six founders of the Alliance to End Plastic Waste. It's a industry group. It's the, the only complete value chain industry group that goes all the way from um, let's say waste management companies through uh, consumer goods companies. Uh, so all those companies um, are, I think there's 73 companies now engaged in the Alliance. And the Alliance's focus is on solutions for recycling. So it's not an advocacy group. It's not, um, you know, doing um, other uh, industry kind of uh, government topics. It, it's it's really focused on solutions for recycling and starting up uh, recycling technologies and testing them um, all over the world. So they're based out of out of Singapore, but have a heavy presence globally. Um, our CEO sits on the executive team for the alliance, and we are investing. Um, a lot of money as well as other companies into the alliance in order to to fund uh, these new technologies for recycling. And a lot of it, it spans from mechanical through um, advanced, but a big focus on the upstream side of it. So the waste management, sorting, uh, ability to collect. Um, and, you know, if you look at plastic waste, which... Um, the heaviest portion of that uh, plastic waste is is in Asia, um, and with many of the islands like Indonesia is 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 a, a large, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, where there's a large amount of plastic waste. They have quite a few projects running in in those regions. We also have some in North America and South America. And this year, we actually put a CPCAM employee into the alliance as a project manager to help facilitate, um, you know, the the project management of these projects and continue to accelerate them. So that that's one area that um, there's a lot of work going across. Again, the whole value chain. So not just the petrochemicals industry, but the whole value chain. And um, I have a lot of. Um, personal support for the alliance uh, in terms of um, you know hoping that we can continue to to drive that and and um, go faster you know and and accelerate some of the work that they're doing um, so that's that's one area and then going to policy and and education one of the areas um, that we're also focused in is looking at I mentioned pyrolysis oil earlier. 
looking at that network of, of pyrolysis oil companies tied to municipalities that are collecting plastic waste um, and the ability to produce the pie oil and then get it to um, a, a manufacturing facility that can use it as feedstock and trying to look at that footprint and also trying to minimize adding any footprint, right? Um, or emissions <laughs> from that. So, so you know, once you create this, the, your circular loop, you also don't want to create additional, um, um, you know, discussions on emissions and so forth. So reducing that footprint is important as well. Justine, everything you've said to me today has been like, I feel like I've learned so much. I think one of the things I'm most excited about, given my manufacturing background as well, is the fact that there is a system that can sort through like different kinds of trash and recycle accordingly and parse it out. I I want that to be more of an initiative personally. I think that sounds awesome. I say we dig up all the landfills and start sorting, but um, I don't <laughs> think I'll get much support there. Um, but it's it's been so awesome to have somebody with your background, experience, and stature on this podcast. So thank you so so much for taking the time and you know just you know, walking the walk, talking the talk. You're on here educating. The community, like you said, like that's important. You're doing it. Chevron is going out and they're doing so much more than I even realized. And I looked into this stuff and I didn't realize how many organizations you guys are heading up and leading and all the different initiatives outside of just actually creating the products that you're paid to create. So thank you for being a part of that. And thank you for coming on today. Um, Bill, before we sign off, do you have any last questions or remaining thoughts for Justine? No, I, I don't have any more questions. It's been educational. It's been insightful. And to see how CP Kim, did I say it right? How you said it right. Yeah, excellent. How they're, how they're being involved from cradle to grave, as you mentioned earlier, that start to finish looking to be the technical leaders to go out there to incorporate and bring up educational items to teach, to train, to uh, vitalize what's out there so that we can see what we need to do as individuals to help recycle, to reuse, and to repurpose, to allow things to get better for us all. Thank you very much for your time today. I've enjoyed it and I've learned. Thank you. And be nice to people who work at oil and gas companies. They're doing the best they can. <laughs> it's a transition, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with both of you today. So nice to, to, to chat with you, Jordan. Thanks for all the great questions. And, and Bill, great to meet with you today too. So thanks again for having me. Of course. And guys, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Energy Pipeline. I'm your host, Jordan Yates, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Come back next week for another episode of the Energy Pipeline, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.